Hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Adam Brody, an actor and producer who became a pop culture icon as part of the ensemble on the TV series The O.C. He's parlayed that break into a decade and a half of interesting, unpredictable film and television work, most recently in movies like Life Partners, Sleeping With Other People, Isabel, and Ready or Not, where he co-starred with friends of the show Christian Brune and Mark O'Brien. You'll be seeing him soon opposite Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman, and he's currently starring in Evan Morgan's The Kid Detective, playing a former child sleuth still chasing his past glory. It's a very odd movie, and he's terrific in it, and you should check it out when you can. Adam picked Coraline, Henry Selleck's 2009 adaptation of Neil Gaiman's fairy tale horror novel about a girl who escapes her humdrum home life by visiting a mirror world where everything is brighter and more welcoming, with all the food she can eat and all the attention she can handle, thanks to the distressingly cheerful other mother, who wants nothing more than for Coraline to stay with her forever and ever and ever. With Selleck's stunning stop-motion vistas given life by the voice of Dakota Fanning, Terry Hatcher, Jennifer Saunders, Don French, Ian McShane, Keith David, friend of the show John Hodgman, Coraline creates an environment in which you could happily lose yourself. But maybe you shouldn't. This is someone else's movie. I'm a relatively new father. My daughter is five now. And, um, you know, I have certainly seen as many kid movies in the last five years as I have adult ones. And the kid ones I've seen, I see multiple times is the thing. So the ones I'm really studying are, uh, are, are the children's movies. And uh, I hadn't seen Coraline before that. And, um, and furthermore, it's kind of a genre, uh, not a, well, like female centered stories as well is roughly is new to me. Uh, uh, kid ones anyways. Um, I grew up with all the, most of the, the boy, the boy ones. Sure. And so, and I'm, I'm loving this education. I mean, there's so many great movies that I had never really seen with, I mean, sound of music, wizard of Oz, just like your classics. And certainly hadn't seen them and certainly hadn't studied them. And, um, and so watching all those has been really uh, just wonderful. And, and uh, Coraline is especially um, poetic and, and kind of meditative. And that's one of the things I love about it is it's if you're going to watch a movie 50 times, you, you kind of can't do better than this one, which has a very it's slow paced and it's, um, it's so reflective and symbolic and a little opaque and the texture is so rich with that claymation and, um, and puppetry. I don't know if it's more puppetry or claymation or what, but, um, it's so rich. It's so engaging, uh, to look at that, um, that I just find that endlessly fascinating. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just find the story so, Subtle's not the right word, but you know, for a kids' movie, like I said, it's in, it's in, it's very poetic and quiet. I've gotten into a lot of anime for the same reason. Um, sure, you yeah. know, you know, I don't want to inundate my child with. I mean, some people, including her school, would argue that like, don't show them anything. <laughs> you know, screens are bad, but you know, I don't know. We've 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 while she does watch has been watching movies since she was very young i mean her second birthday party when she was really too young to understand it was was a Coraline themed birthday party but um (laughs) that's really more for the parents i think yeah yeah definitely it certainly was 
Um, although, you know, she had seen the movie a lot at that point. Um, it was like too young to be scared by it, but then got a little older and was scared by it and now has circled back and isn't scared by it anymore and loves it again. And, um, uh, uh, what was I saying? I don't know. You were talking about the, um, uh, the, the conflict between screens and no screens and. Oh yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to, yeah, but I, I I want, I just want to make sure that there's such a difference to me. Yes. There's screens in general. And then there's such a difference to me between just the idea of a screen. And then if you are, are you, you know, are they watching quality or not? And there's the, there's the little literal, very tangible idea of like just how many edits and how in your face is it and how hyper, um, um, how hyper is it cut? And, and, um, there's that element, which I, I think slower is obviously better, uh, for a young mind or probably anyone for that matter. But, so. um, but also just the quality of, you know, because, um, I'm so sensitive to that, uh, the quality of themes and stories and characters and values that it is, uh, um, transmitting to your child the unconscious ones that they're picking up and it feels real while I can obviously watch something terrible and be removed from it and kind of enjoy it and laugh at it and be it the bachelor or whatever it's way different feeding your kid mental junk Um, (laughs) yeah and and um and so I really try not to do that I mean you know there's a few crappy things she likes that we've indulged her with for a little bit but but mostly not mostly you know she's like She's got a pretty good film library and um, I feel good about that. So anyways, things I love about it are just, um, you know, I'd be lying if I said I totally like we've looked up the symbology and the, 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 the themes a bit, but they kind of have gone a little bit one in ear in one ear out the other for me, but like a good song that the lyrics are a little opaque. I don't have to have the concrete answers or, a, you know, a good painting to, to um, exactly what everything means. I can, deduce that there's a lot of, I can feel the power of it and the thoughtfulness behind it and the sensitivity. And, um, yeah, that movie has a power. It's also, um, it's so dreamlike. It's incredibly quiet. You know, there's almost no background noise in it. Um, there's the score, but other than that, um, it's just there, you know, there's living in this house kind of in the middle of nowhere, it looks like. And so there's, there's just, um, it's a very quiet movie which is uh, nice. And again, if you're going to watch something a lot, particularly with the child, um, it's, uh, it's, it's nice for it to be quiet and peaceful. And even though it gets dark and um, you know, I just, I just, those, so those are some reasons. Yeah. I saw it in 2009 when it, uh, when it played theatrically, I actually saw it. I think it was one of the only stop motion films I've seen in 3d. Mm. And oh, I've seen the 3D. That's interesting. It works. It's yeah, I mean, I in addition to the just the, the way it plays with space and the and the spider webby stuff at the end, which is just you know gorgeous to look at. Right, right. You really have a a feeling of the tactile environment that this thing was handcrafted was uh-huh. built, and yes. yeah, it just made me appreciate the work of the work that Henry Selleck puts into the character design and his. I mean, this is the guy who made yes. It's, to me, it's my favorite visually of all this genre of stuff. It's kind of the high point to me where I don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, but it's even more the, um, did James and the Giant Peach, maybe after that, maybe before, I'm not, no, before. Before, yeah. Um, 
even Nightmare uh, Before Christmas, those are a little darker to me. And I don't mean tonally, I just mean literally visually, they're kind of darker. And I don't, it makes it a little less rich to me or a little, I don't know, I find it a little more depressing. It's weird, but like, there's something about Nightmare Before Christmas I really like, but I don't know. There's just like a bleakness to the background. I'm not as, in, I don't like as much. And then this, uh, I think it's pronounced Laika or Laika, the studio Leica, that yeah. makes it. You know, I've seen, um, Kubo and the Two Strings. We've seen that a bit. We've seen um, the Bigfoot one, uh, uh, Missing oh, Link. Yep. And um, those, in, in addition to those scripts just being much less like mysterious and kind of, um, again, meditative, I guess, um, um, those are a lot more, they're still subtle compared to your average, you know, animated movie, but sure. they're still more kind of straightforward um, and loud. But uh, even the animation, even the visual stuff, and same with The Corpse Bride, Tim Burton, it feels like, without knowing this for a fact, even though I think they're using real puppets, it seems like computers are using in, being integrated more and more and supplementing it where I'm feeling less texture in them. And to me, Coraline is like the apex where it's like, feels like there's very little computer stuff, but it's a little brighter than or Nightmare Before Christmas. And so visually, out of all these stop motions that I've seen from that studio and or the Tim Burton camp and Henry Selleck, this is like visually hands down my favorite as well. Yeah, I think the combination of Gaiman and Selleck's yeah. perspectives is the real kicker for me. It's just, yeah. you know, you can pull back and, and look at it just as a piece of construction and it is just a gorgeous film to watch. But it's got that thing that Neil Gaiman does where he pulls on the fairy tale aspects and just makes you really stop and think about what the story is offering. You know, it's a Hansel and Gretel kind of thing. There's a, there's a special place that children can go and maybe never leave because it's not nearly as nice as it seems to be. And just the, the whole thing, and it comes right out of the book, the, the buttons for eyes and just how, how uh -huh. utterly unsettling that is. Uh -huh. um, and it just kind of, slowly curdles around Coraline the same way it curdles in our minds that she is like, we know from the structure of every fairy tale that this isn't going to end well, but the way that Selick does that tonal shift with, um, with the camera, with it just getting a little closer to the characters, pushing in a little bit until we see what's wrong before Coraline does. And having, I mean, just casting Keith David as a talking cat who, yeah, yeah. You know, he's such a wonderful presence, but there are these little subtle suggestions that things are going to slide into a very bad place. It's true. And as you said about the Neil Gaiman stuff, and I, I this is the only Neil Gaiman I'm re really familiar with. At the same time, just knowing like, you know, a little of, of his work. Um, mm -hmm. And I already said it, but it's just, you can feel the rich mythology that these other ones don't necessarily have. You can yeah. feel the, the, the rich mythology and the symbol symbolism and the you know the hidden messages in it and it just feels so rich in that it's so kind of that's why it kind of holds my fascination still you know i still because i because i quite literally haven't discovered everything in it yet yeah. as i said i don't know i'll probably never know and that makes it endlessly fascinating yeah the um in, in the way like a Donnie Darko does to me, you know, where it's like, I think I'm getting it, but I'm never going to really get it. And I don't really want to get it. <laughs> and, but it always is always going to have that power over me because 
I can feel it from the filmmaker and I can see the clues and it's, uh, it's so dense in that regard. Yeah. I was going to say there is the sense that, and we, I mean, we're shown it literally that this has happened before that this Coraline's not the first child to wander into this world, but there is this massive sense of history and texture going on beyond things. That's just so satisfying. Um, I love seeing things on the, you know, like just the little details, things on the walls that we'll never understand, but they're just there mm -hmm. um, because you would do that when you're building the world. And, and it's the enthusiasm for the creation of the world that then you have, again, that like this, I'm, I'm actually kind of annoyed that I, I had John Hodgman on the podcast once and we never got to mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. Coraline because mm -hmm. that, that performance and the fact that they match him with his singing voice is John Linnell from They Might Be Giants. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Other Father song is, is yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great, like it just, it's a perfect slide because the two know each other and they, they work together for years. Oh, but. Funny. It just works so well together. And it also, because like in 2009, John Hodgman was not the like the popular presence that he is now. It yeah. was just such a weird little choice. And I, uh, this nice little idiosyncratic move for this little animation studio in Portland to to just not go yeah. with the standards, right? Just pick and honestly, people. even Terry Hatcher is interesting. You know, I know yeah. that Desperate Housewives was probably on still then. But I think so. And I think she was in it, but, yep. but, um, but still, you know, uh, uh, still uh, it's, this is a little arty movie, you know? Um, yeah. So to, to take someone off of ABC and, and bring them there also is an interesting move. Yeah. And to actually cast a young, like Dakota Fanning was still a kid yeah. when she did yeah. this rather than an adult yeah. voicing a child. Yeah. Just all the choices are, and yeah, it's, I, I guess I'd never really considered it as a movie. The same with Paranorman. They're they're uh -huh. not the like is not really making these movies for kids. They're making it for yeah, they're yeah, making yeah. them for like us, for adults who yeah. remember what it was like to be kids yeah, yeah, and yeah. to have that intensity. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, I mean, yeah. Oh, sorry. They're not, they're, no, they're intense. They're they 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 I mean Yeah, it definitely flirts with being too scary. It's of the scarier variety for a kid, but but at the same time if you condition them right, they can handle it. <laughs> At least my kid can. And, and um, yeah, no, definitely. Obviously, there's a lot for adults or I wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is, it's always weird to be talking about animated films on a podcast where people just can't see them. Like we can't, we can't pull up references. But I think this one's so vividly done that um, you, can, you can conjure it in your, in your head and and the mood is what comes up, not the imagery for me. I just like, I feel the, the sort of weird autumnal tension in the, in the film and, the, and the, the construction of the world and the way that everything is forbidding, but not foreboding. It's just, it's supposed to be appealing enough. I, that's why I yeah. keep thinking about Hansel and Gretel, right? Because you're seeing a world where children are supposed to be enticed and yeah. it preys on the innocent. Yeah. And it is, and it is, you know, you're unlocking a mystery and, at the end of that tunnel is uh, a golden world of delight that is corrosive and, and uh, ultimately nefarious. And um, I mean, obviously the tale, uh, wondering after watching all these kids movies and watching these female ones, and it's like, it's funny, but the girl in most of these is, I'm trying to think of like, I can't from what the, 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 the boy centric ones from my childhood, because the girl, they're always orphaned. I mean, Coraline's not exactly orphaned, but she is. You know, they're 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 cast out in the world, 
Alice, they're all Allison, not all, but I mean, there's so much of them. We've gotten really into, I mean, other movies I could talk about are Secret Garden and Little Princess. Right. Those, um, um, but, you know, my daughter's always playing being an orphan. You know, maybe, <laughs> um, um, maybe that says something about us as parents. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, the girl is cast out into the world without parents and kind of, um, you know, but I wouldn't necessarily say, but still somewhat of a victim in a lot of these, you know, I don't necessarily, some heroines are stronger than others. I think mm. in the secret garden, she becomes a strong heroine. Um, but not necessarily Alice in Wonderland, not necessarily wizard of Oz, not, you know, they're, 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 mm. I mean, maybe wizard of Oz, but, but, um, well, these are, yeah, these are stories like uh, Snow White even and, or The Little Mermaid. Things Snow happen White. to the characters exactly. right? instead of them. Exactly. And they're a little, they're, 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 they're a victim and they're, they're orphaned and they got to make their way in the world and can't trust people. And everyone's kind of, most people are using them for bad purposes and, you know, they survive mostly. Mm-hmm. And then boys, I guess, are given much more agency. I mean, I'm trying to think of the famous ones. I don't really recall what happens. And I guess I kind of recall what happens in sort of the stone, but it feels like those are more the, th- I mean, even if I just think about, I guess, you know, barring more adult fare, like Lord of the flies, but like, you know, even my childhood of like Goonies or explorers or right. ET, you know, it's like you're granted otherworldly powers and you become a superhero, you know, you, you yeah, sort yeah. of, and um, I mean, even in Back to the Future, which is the other big one from that era, uh, the hero is somebody who has knowledge that no one else has, right? Like yes, it's all, they're yes. all chosen ones. That's exactly right. And so it seems like these, these male-centered ones, yeah, you get a power mm. and then you get to, you know, a power that's bigger than you and then you get to use that. And it's that wish fulfillment in that way. And obviously those characters are given more agency. And while on one hand, I'm, I'm, I think about it and that seems, you know, uh, problematic. At the same time, I've really enjoyed these, these more, uh, the ones that are centered on girls. Cause they're just so much less violent. They're so much more thoughtful. That's you know, I, I think about all these movies I want to show her and every one of them, I'm like, Ugh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're so much more crass. Um, and, and, and just, again, just like violent at their core. And, uh, uh, so that is one color that I'm not missing um, from showing her at this, you know, and um, it's just been interesting. It's been an interesting kind of to relive my childhood, but then through her eyes and, and, and the stuff she's taking in. Yeah. Uh, it must I don't mean, be. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You don't mean. I no, no. I, I don't mean to say that none of these girl protagonists have a bunch of agency, but I, it is a trend I'm noticing where, you know, again, the orphans, they're orphaned. And then when I think about it, these boys get a lot of power and clearly there's something to that. But even so, even despite that, like I said, I'm, I'm enjoying these, these stories cause they're just, if nothing else, less violent. Yeah. And I mean, Coraline does also have a, like the, the monster is a female character. It's, That's, it really is like men are very, very secondary in the story. Very true. Very um, true. And Although, she's and she's pretty empowered, actually. Even though she is somewhat orphaned, she's a seeker. It's you know she seeks it out. She's an explorer, and uh, and she bravely and gamely fights to save her parents. So she's not even though someone's messing with her, she's actually 
up to the challenge pretty early on. That's a that's a actually particularly empowered character for this genre when I think about it. Yeah. Well, and her sidekick, who doesn't exist in the book, the the boy YB, who is invented apparently according to Wikipedia, so she wouldn't be walking around talking to herself for most of the movie. Oh, interesting. I don't know. But that also explains why he doesn't do very much. Like right. he's he's right. there. Also, this time, uh, the last time I watched it, it just he reminds me very much of Heath Ledger's Joker in a very strange way. Like it doesn't. Well, he's got those because he's he's. I mean, he's stitch. You know, they stitch his mouth at one point. Close. Yeah. So he's got the. You know, he's got that like. Uh, it's scar, like smile. putting a hat on a hat by the time they do it. Cause, but he's also got that physicality. He, he shifts his shoulders in a really strange way and, and yeah. has this awkward way of tilting his head down. I remember thinking it the first time that it kind of, I couldn't put my finger on it. And then this time it's just like, Oh, that, but like, it's just a coincidence. The time it takes to make a stop motion film, there's no way they could have seen it. Yeah, no, no. But you know, they, um, I mean, the other thing about this movie is it's, it's creepy. Everyone's, everyone's, kind of creepy the parents are creepy even in their good even when they're being their best the apartments you know the neighbors are the only one even though you talked about keith david as you know because it's his voice being somewhat menacing he's kind of the only one in my opinion that's not that's like very if not warm at least trustworthy Hmm. instantly um you know he seems good and everyone else why be included harder to trust. And yeah, YB's he's, he's introduced in a scary way, even though when he's a victim later of the other mother, he's it's, it's, it's creepy looking, you know, I mean, the buttons for eyes are just such a terrifying, uh, uh, dehumanizing prospects anyways. But, um, I mean, they're all creepy, maybe no one more so than the dad, the other dad. I mean, he's kind of the most, even though it seems like he means well enough uh, uh, when he's powering down in the end and he's, you know, <laughs> mother made me do it. Like that, that's, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's the affable helplessness, but that also tells you that he's not going to help you when it comes yeah. down to it. The, the sense and, that he- and I find, I find there's something I find even more than the mom who is, uh, uh, his, her real mom who is, um, pretty, you know, not the greatest, I hate the dad. I mean, the dad is just despicable in my opinion. And I know that there's the parents are somewhat redeemed in the end, but um, I guess what I like about it is, but they're also kind of not, I mean, they're also pretty, pretty worthless um, just to even start off with, especially that dad. I mean, just, just because it's not only like, I mean, Number one, he's not there for his daughter. I mean, that's the, you know, he's just not there. No one wants her. No one wants to be bothered and he's not there. But also he's just like the opposite of charming. I mean, he's just repulsive. He's repulsive looking. (laughs) He sounds like a jerk, you know, like a, just, he, he's a repulsive cook. Um, Just none of it you want to spend time with, except you do because it's so interesting. He's an interesting character and he's interesting looking. And it's so it's fascinating in that way, but it's not, but it's somewhat repellent. Yeah. He, well, I mean, neither parent is giving Coraline anything that she needs. And I, maybe that's where the orphan thing comes from, right? The resonance is that she's, yeah. she's figuring out who she is on her own because she doesn't have the role models. She's figuratively orphaned and then is orphaned when the mother mother takes them later. Right. But but even before that, she's very much on her. She's uh, uh, very much girl without a country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, again, it's the kind of thing that 
you hear is a bedtime story, right? You, you the, the, the fabric of it where things happen and they're inexplicable and then they're gone the next day. Everything's like the film ends with a return to normalcy, but the cat's still wandering around. We know this is real. Like Coraline will, Coraline will carry this forward with her forever and hopefully not as trauma, but as like the founding, like the foundation of her personality. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she's such a wonderful, you know, even just, I mean, this is, um, even just, uh, style wise, she's, um, she's got an iconic look and, you know, most cartoons are pretty vivid and, or, or, um, animated anything or vivid, you know, you're going to have vivid characters and a lot of thought. So many hours are going to be spent making them. There can be a lot of thought in what they look like and wearing, but still she's got such a, um, just a great iconic kind of punk look. That's um, um, also I just really respond to. Yeah, I was I had not read the book before seeing the film, and I was shocked to see that that design is original to the movie. That the mm. the book jacket is just kind of a more Alice in Wonderland look. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. A more right. normal kid. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. We have the. I haven't read the book. I actually have tried. I've tried it. Mm. My daughter. I can't. I can't sell her on it yet. But I've tried <laughs> to read it to her a few times. Um, so I'm familiar with those pictures, and and uh, yeah, no, much more much more straightforward, but I love the uh, attitude she's given in the, um, and what little details do I like? There's, um, she's going to the clothing store to try and get some gloves. You know, she wants these gloves, uh, uh, colorful gloves. And like two kids are running by going, one of them, I think it's Richard the third, like my kingdom for a horse or my horse, my kingdom for a horse, just a random Shakespeare line as they're running by. Um, so many, it's just, Again, I mean, a world this meticulously built is going to have nothing but detail. But still, there's some, I mean, I don't know why the image of there's this sequence where she's going around the house counting everything and this rug won't, there's a bump in the rug that she kind of can't get to flatten out. And then in the end, she finally jumps on it right. And it it just, that, when I think of that movie, (laughs) that that one image, weirdly, that sequence very much uh, uh, stays with me. That's great. I I love it when people cling to stuff that vivid, or when yeah. things cling to people that way. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, I know that. I mean, I know that Gaiman was very happy with the way it turned out, and haven't gotten to talk to Selig since, which is a shame because he's just—I'm sure he's doing interesting stuff, whatever he's doing. But um, we ended up. Yes, I, he came to town. I think when the Nightmare Before. No, it was the other. It was when James and the Giant Peach came out on oh. Laserdisc back in the day. Wow. Oh. Uh, Disney brought him to Toronto for a tour and we ended up sitting, I think he'd done a lecture for Ryerson's animation department or something like that. And we ended up just chatting for an hour about all animation ever. And he's just, his reference points are wonderful and he knows everything, but he, and Brad Bird does the same thing. They really only do the thing they do. Uh So he has that massive, massive history and knows what will work and what won't work. But he's a a Henry Selleck project is still going to have, you know, tall, skinny characters with spindly legs and, yeah, and sharp yeah. edges and elbows and things. And um, the the it's just so strange to me that he and Gaiman aren't just doing all kinds of stuff together because their sensibilities right. are so perfectly meshed. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I assume, and then again, like I said, I'm I'm not well versed in Neil Gaiman, so mm. I guess I can't say totally. Even though just from this, you know, from like absorbing the hell out of this one, I'm I'm a very big fan. Um, his stuff is very, very dense narratively. So I think it's a uh, problem with the adaptations. Um, 
And because he plays with so many uh, familiar concepts, I suspect that's a little daunting because you can say, well, Coraline's like Alice in Wonderland. Well, sure. what should we bother? Right. Right. Uh, American gods is the, the thing that's right, probably the right, most right, ambitious right. of his. And that's, right, right. Uh, that's so big. It has to be a television show. Right. 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 Well, that shouldn't be a problem anymore. I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's what everything wants to be now. Anyway. Yeah, so. I think it's in its third season. And actually Ian McShane is the, is in that. And, and also of course is the, that's voice right. Of, that's yeah. right. That's so, right. Yeah. He's got those great band-aids on his like, <laughs> knees and stuff in this. That's right. His band-aids. Um, Just speaks to a life, right? There's all this stuff that we don't see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it's one of the most richly like detailed movies I can think of. And again, I think some of that obviously is like due to the physical, you know, the world being built so meticulously, but it's just, it's just so rich. Um, do you know who does the score? The songs are by a French composer named Bruno Coulet, who I am not familiar with at all. Hmm. Uh, but apparently he's done quite a few. Yeah. He's got those in my head. Um, the opening credits are just wonderful with the, the, um, doll being repurposed to be a Coraline doll. Um, I mean, that's as fun to look at as anything in the movie. Yeah, that was um, that was really beautiful to see on the big screen in 3D too. You can feel the stitching, like you can yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish you know, <laughs> I wish I understood it more to talk about it. Unfortunately, it's one of those movies I feel a little bit dumb because I've seen it, you know, start to finish at least 20 times, and yet you know have never. It's got such a charisma and potency that you know, I can, I can, I can watch it endlessly and yet never felt the necessary need to dig in too hard to connect all the sort of thematic and symbolic dots. Um, no, I get that. Just, yeah. Let it, let it be the thing that it is. And, and it's very impressionistic. It. And yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it has a strong power over me nonetheless. Oh, that's good though. I mean, yeah. it's, it's good that you can continue to revisit it too, and that it holds up. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, and that goes to maybe how I am as a consumer. I mean, I, so many, so much of my music or like music I consume and is, you know, I've never bothered to like even read the lyrics, you know what I mean? And and my, my wife's the opposite. My wife like is the first thing she's listening to is like the story and the lyrics. And I was like, Oh, that was just another instrument to me, the the voice. Um, And I caught impressions of these different lyrics and I sort of formed a picture in my head, but it never, almost never occurred to me to like really dissect um you know that's interesting i, I come at lazy. it the other yeah i come at it the other way myself i'm much more lyric driven yeah yeah uh which Not again is I, just why i love they might be giant so much and why i was just so delighted to to recognize that's that form of music in Coraline because i had again had no idea i mean i knew who hodgman was so i was sort of happy to hear his voice and then when it turns into linnell it's just like oh wait a minute i love those guys it's so funny it's pretty seamless because i uh never knew the difference and we've yeah, sung that they, song a lot in my house and <laughs> they, um never knew the difference yeah they both have a kind of a nasal timber going yeah. on it makes perfect sense that one would become the yeah, other yeah so, um, yeah yeah so uh, we, um, we say a lot a lot of lines at the house I do that dad a lot. I say my monkey slippers. I'm not going to do the impression, but it's pretty good. Uh, my monkey slippers are blue. I say a lot. And a lot of, we always say your mother knows you like the back of her hand. Um, say that a lot. 
and that's in then and then my daughter also uh, occasionally she got in a phase really wanted a mango milkshake and a chicken and like really wanted the dinner like it so we tried our best <laughs> how did it work how did it i mean did she did it work for her it was okay the mango the mango milkshake you know she's more interested in the in the idea than the than the refreshment but um and then the beverage but uh uh yeah it worked it was an afternoon good i mean anything to pass the time at this point right i was gonna say i killed some time (laughs) well um i'm trying to figure out a way the usually the the closing question on the podcast is if there's anything from the film being discussed that you've used or absorbed into your own sort of creative package oh that's a great yeah are there a great question yeah i mean you're talking about doing the father at home in life but i can't yeah yeah have i have i purpose it for, cause I do do that. I mean, so, so much of what I do is like literally a line reading from Jim Carrey. That's in my head for a minute, you know, 20 years, I will like repurpose for something consciously right. or unconsciously. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, is a little different cause it's animated. Um, uh, no, I don't know. I can't think of anything consciously, Again, I could I could I could walk through other lines that we say all the time at the house, but right. um, um, that are now I'm thinking of ones that aren't the dad. Yeah. Um, but uh, Coraline and her friends in the picture, uh, her friends from from uh, Michigan, I think she's from in this. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but things I've taken into my work. Um, no, 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 I can't actually, I can't say there is. And I think again, some of that's probably due to the animated nature of it. Cause otherwise, even if I wasn't taking a line reading, you know, I'm sure I'd absorb at least some physicality or something. And not to say that you, you certainly can do that. I mean, I was reading a Nicholas, Nicholas Cage is like one of my favorites and, you know, he's talking about getting inspiration from like, I think it's Edward Monk's The Scream, you know, and like, see and that, just like yeah. paintings and stuff. And it's so great. And you definitely, you know, it doesn't have to be a flesh and blood actor doing a lot, you know, uh, uh, to be inspired to, to bring into your work as an actor. But yeah, consciously, I can't quite think of anything uh, that I have. Yeah, I was trying to stitch it together somehow with um, The Kid Detective and Ready or Not, because they're both kind of characters soaked in regret for things that they like regrets that they don't either understand or, or can't channel. And Coraline doesn't really line up there, but that's just the trick that I do with every guest trying to figure out if I can bring them. Yeah, back to it of myself. course, of course, of course. I mean, it just doesn't, does it? <laughs> no, I mean, I guess, you know, look, I mean, only this, and this isn't that I'm taking stuff from it. This just respond the boat. When you mentioned both those movies, it's sure. like, Certainly ready or not, but even the kid detective at a certain point um, has a dark humor and a fascination with the macabre, certainly more so ready or not. But again, kid detective has its, has its violent moments and it's like darkly comic moments. Mm-hmm. It's never Gothic, but um, um, so I do have, you know, I think again, one of the reasons I'm certainly drawn to it is it's a, uh, a, uh, dark uh the dark tones um um and so i that's like a flavor that i i i'm always drawn to and and while still having plenty of humor you know um um yeah and it seems to suit you as an actor too it's just 
the, the, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but there's, uh, there's an element of your, like your established screen persona is someone who can handle glibly almost anything that's thrown at him. And seeing these, like these films are the ones where I see you come up against a limitation of that, which I find really interesting. Just the idea that there are things you can't blow past, that there are things that your characters have to stop and struggle with. Does that make any kind of sense? It's just the, like, that's kind of how I see the energy that you're choosing to use these days without sounding incredibly pretentious about how. No, no, I, um, um, it is. I mean, it's such a thoughtful discussion. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, that's what I do. yeah, yeah, no, I can tell. I can, as soon as we started, I was like, Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> um, um, but, uh, uh, no, is that, is, is my, my the glibness coming up against the real, you know, I wish I can see that in both of those, you know, I mean, I think that's, it's a tone of, of, of humor and glibness and a gallows humor coming mm-hmm. up against the, the, uh, reality of, of life and, and, um, and more so I guess the reality of death, um, um, and that's something I'm, I'm fascinated and I'm with, I'm fascinated by death. I think we, obviously we all are, but I would say me more so than your average person. Okay. Um, um, it's not something I even necessarily love about myself. It's just, it's just, um, I, I have been, I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm not like really into serial killers or, you know, or even true crime. It's just more of like, it's more the existential question, but it, but because of it, it causes me to, um, fixate on it and I fixate on it with humor more than anything, you know? Um, cause that's kind of how I tend to the lens through which I tend to see most things. Um, but as to the characters, I mean, certainly there was no master plan to, um, there was no master plan to, uh, uh, you know, even find glib characters. These are just the best scripts that came my way. <laughs> and, 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 but they sought me out, you know, in, in that regard too. And it's, uh, and so, you know, in some regard, they saw that in me and, um, yeah, I mean, I think putting it maybe less thoughtfully, but it's like, yeah, I think I have a black humor, um, um, in real life and, uh, uh, and certainly, now on screen more and more so. And, and while I don't think that Coraline is particularly bleak, I mean, it, it, I mean, there is a bleakness to it that I appreciate. Oh, sure, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not like a depressive, depressing movie, but like I say, I mean, the roses bloom in the end, but her parents suck. I mean, they've gotten a little better, but like, I don't believe that the movie is trying to convince us that like everything is, you know, no pun intended, Rosie from here on out. And these parents are going to be wonderful people. I mean, I think they, I think they had a breakthrough. I think everyone had a breakthrough, but I think those parents, they're irredeemable in that every place is, you know, in that, in that every person is, is flawed and, you know, nothing can be all good or all bad, but they're not redeemable to me in, in that, like, I don't know. They're never going to be charming parents and I don't expect her to be super close to her, them when she grows up. Yeah. Um, you that's know, it. I that's th- like, that's the takeaway. You come away hoping that she figures it out, right. That her parents, like she deserves better somehow. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I don't even, when I think about it in terms of her personal growth, I mean, I, I guess like, what does she learn? I mean, 
I feel like she already kind of, she wants their attention like any kid does, but I don't even know necessarily that that's a lesson that she needs to, I don't feel like she's, she's lonely. I think it's more just she's lonely than she's suffering from the, the, the constant crushing disappointment of her parents not, you know what I mean? It, it hurts her deeply that it, it's, I'm sure it does hurt, but I don't think like she seems pretty armored up for it and pretty tough. And, um, and is already like a rebel a little bit. And so I don't feel like, you know, I feel like more than anything, it's she's lonely. And by the end, she's made friends. She's made a cat friend. She's made YB as a friend. You know, he seems like he'll be a good friend for the, for the rest of it, even though he's introduced to us as creepy and has his creepy elements. He seems redeemable and like, like, you know, an innocent, a true innocent at the end of the day. And, They'll be friends. YB's grandma as well. She's made her. And, and everyone, she's seen everyone in their best light. There's the neighbor upstairs. There's the neighbors downstairs. There's the, um, her parents. Everyone is in a better mood and everyone's kind of become friends and the roses are blooming. So, you know, she's brought out the light in all these characters. And again, I think if anything else, just the pure, I, the, the idea that she'll be a little less lonely from this, but I don't know that she's, I don't know that the parents, in my opinion, are like, I wouldn't go so far with that little snippet in the end to say that they're fully redeemed, you know? And like I said, I still don't picture a world where she's close to her parents when they grow up. Yeah. And I, because I fucking hope she's not, because they suck. (laughs) You know, like I think they're terrible. And I mean, I don't know. It's like, they're nicer in the end, but it's not like they got on their hands and knees and like, you know, how to come to Jesus moment and really seem to be like aware of, you know, they seem like kind of uncharming drips and uh, you know, and she's very much not, she's a vibrant, lively girl who's got tons of spunk and has an exciting life is a, is an adventurer who like, I hope for her escape more than I hope for her not to be lonely. And I like that they're, they're paying a little more attention. I like that she's found some friends, but I don't hope for her, I don't get the impression that the parents changed so much that I hope for her that, you know, I hope for her to go to college somewhere else. Yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, still I have just... that feeling like you've got greener pastures as you know, beyond. And this is a, uh, this is some adolescence that, you know, you've got to make the best of. Oh yeah. I'm not worried about her at all. She defeated. No, monster. no. She'll be fine. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. My thanks to Adam Brody, whose new movie, The Kid Detective, is in theaters across Canada right now. If you're confident you can see it safely, maybe you do that. Thanks also to Ali Lemaire Shedden. She knows what she did. You can find Adam on Twitter at HandleBrody, all one word, H-A-N-D-L-E-B-R-O-D-Y, and you can find Coraline on Blu-ray and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play, and streaming on Netflix in Canada. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where I host a bunch of podcasts these days in addition to writing about film and TV. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good. Stay inside. Watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.